on going down the drain like Roto-Rooter today. We're embarrassed and we're betrayed. And the world looks at you and says, what about you? Every day of the week I walk with two unsaved men in my neighborhood and when another shining light falls, they say to me as we begin our walk in the early morning, what about you, preacher? When are you going down the tubes? That's the way it is today. But I say there must be a new generation. I say there must be a new force of people. And it is you in this room. You one day will lead the churches. You will lead the business of the world. And it's up to you to lead it right. And so today what I'd like to do is I'd like to challenge you for a few minutes on personal purity. And in your Bible, if you'd turn with me, let us look at Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. And in reverence and deference to the Word of God, may we stand for this reading. Isaiah 6, beginning with verse 1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this hath touched your lips, Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, Lord, send me. Father, I pray you bless this reading. You bless this scripture. And somehow you cause us not to forget it, that we are to walk before you in purity and in love and in holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It was Robert McChain who said, My people's greatest need is my holiness. Keith Krause in his book on the ministry said, No matter what you believe, your call might be. If you are not called to holiness, you are not called to the ministry. And I believe what he said is true. You see, it used to be, and it should be, and it's in the scriptures forever that the ministry is what a man is, not what he can do. It is not his gift. It is not his burden. It is his character. It is his integrity. Is he holy? Is he pure? Does he stand in the righteousness of Christ? Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I say to you, you cannot be, you cannot be a servant of Christ in the ministry of Christ in whatever way it may be and be effective and see the results spiritually and powerfully for God unless we see God. Unless we know more than about Him. Unless we know Him. Purity in the Bible primarily means clean. Primarily, it means clear. 
When a man is pure, you can see right through him. There is no hidden areas in his life. Purity is not natural to the natural man. It is not even natural to the spiritual man. Purity is not a gift or an ability. It is always a result of seeing, of experiencing the holiness of God. And the greatest thing that you should try to discover in the midst of this Christian community is the holiness of God. Fail every course, but leave experiencing and knowing the holiness of God, which is our strength. Purity on the one hand and sin on the other both issue from the same place, from the heart. J.C. Ryle in his book, A Call to Holiness, said about sin, the sinfulness of man does not begin from without, but it begins from within. It is not the result of bad training in early years. It is not picked up from bad companions and bad examples and bad homes, as some weak Christians are so fond of saying. No, said Riles, it is a family disease which we all inherit from our parents, our first parents, Adam and Eve, and with which we are born. The problem of sin is inherent within. And this should remind the believer that that we have the potential of any and every sin that has ever been committed. Because the heart is deceitful. Your heart is deceitful and mine. Above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You cannot even know your own heart. None can. Our depravity is deep. It goes to the very depths of our inner being. And God will not ultimately use a dirty tool Sooner or later, the truth will surface. Be sure your sins will find you out. Regardless of your success, regardless of your gifts and your talent and ability, God will not forever use a dirty tool. Payday will come. And you will be exposed. We see it on the face of the Christian community today. And it is a horrendous compromise. R.C. Sprawl in his book on the holiness of God says that the Bible does not say that God is loving, 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 and that God is mercy, 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 or that God is wrath, wrath, wrath. But R.C. Sproul says that God says God is holy, holy, holy. And we must not forget it. Isaiah 6, 3. The whole earth is full of His glory because it is full of His holiness. And that's what He wants His people to be. The holiness of God is the key to the purity of man. Now, here in Isaiah's testimony, there are four keys to holiness and purity. And I personally believe that these are the four things that can purify the Christian worker, the Christian servant, the Christian student. For some reason, you came to a Christian college. Is it, did you come so you could become a Christian? Or did you come because you were already a Christian? Did you come because you wanted to flee the world and not be involved in it? Why did you come? Why did you choose the Christian college? Why did you choose this institution? I would hope and I would dream and I would pray that it would be to be able to experience the holiness of God, which is the key to the purity of your soul. In Isaiah's testimony, there are four keys to this holiness. And I just want to mention them this morning for your admonition. To purify the believer. The first is in verse 5, and it is conviction. 
Now notice the big change that came in Isaiah's life here. He said, in the year the king Isaiah died, I, I saw the Lord. I experienced the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up and elevated. And it goes on and on about who he was. And they, they cried, the seraphim cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his holiness. The holiness of God. Now when Isaiah saw that, and when Moses saw it at the burning bush, that was the difference in their lives. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to experience the holiness of God. And the first thing that happened when Isaiah saw this holy God, he was convicted. Verse 5, So I said, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Woe is me. He was convicted. Convicted of what? He saw himself as the holy God saw him. Do we? Do we see ourselves like he sees us? The Puritan hooker, what a name for a Puritan, said, the best things which we do have something in them to be pardoned. And that is true. The prodigal said, I have sinned. Luke 15, 21. Jeremiah said in Lamentations 1, 20, my heart is turned within me for I have grievously rebelled against God. You see, these men somehow knew their heart. The, pure, the publican said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you understand the depth of your depravity? And I tell you, when you come into a Christian community like this college, more and more pressure is laid upon it. And as you live out the Christian life, there's one of two extremes that usually eventually happen to people that render us to be powerless and fruitless and often worthless in the kingdom of Christ. One is to become legalistic. To go for the letter of the law and to try to walk in the letter of the law. And legalism kills and destroys. And the other is to go to the other extreme, to be liberal and to say, well, it, all, it is not so important. It doesn't matter so much. But you see, both legalism on the one hand and liberalism on the other destroy the spirit and the heart and the gut of a believer and no longer is he convicted of his sin. The legalist says, I don't have any sin. I'm above all of this. We are better than other people. We are better than the world. We have great standards. We are really great Christians, says the legalist. And how confused he is. And the liberal says, well, you don't need to matter about this thing called sin. There's nothing to that. But you see, the truth is, in the midst of holiness of God, you're not a legalist. You're not a liberal. You're controlled by someone greater and higher and more wonderful than you. So their conviction is there. And so you find yourself, do you ever feel at the end of the day that you have to go before God and say, as that publican said, God, be merciful to to me tonight, a sinner? Do you feel that you're a sinner here in this college? The only thing that will make us see it will be the holiness in the presence of God. Now the second thing that we see here happening in Isaiah's life is confession. Notice as it continues in verse 5, So I said, Woe is me, convicted, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And you know, reading the life story of Isaiah, he did pretty well. There's no record of him running women or wasting money. 
And yet he said, after he'd been in the presence of a holy God, I am a man of unclean lips. And he said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the King. The King of glory. Lift up your head, O ye gates. And even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. The difference in the ministry, the difference in the Christian life is discovering and experiencing the holiness of God. First conviction, then confession. In 1 John 1, 9 and 10, we, say that we see this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think one of the greatest weaknesses of the evangelical condition and tradition is that we have gotten away from confessing our sins publicly or personally to one another. James said in 5.16, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Luke 5.3-8 Peter fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter, who preached at Pentecost, Psalm 51.3, David said, My sin is ever before me. David learned the hard way that this is the price I pay for one riotous day, a life of grief and sorrow. You may have come to a Christian college because you had some problems with indwelling sin. And you felt that if you got into the right community, you got in with the right kind of people that you may be able to overcome some of these sins. But you have come here and you've discovered that some of them remain and they don't seem to disappear and they don't seem to go away. And maybe what you ought to seek is not an answer to your indwelling continual sin, but to the presence of the holy holiness of God. And He'll help you. And He'll bring you through. Because the next step in Isaiah's trek is cleansing. Verses 6 and 7, if you'll notice it in your text. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin, and your sin is purged. That's cleansing. Wasn't it Jesus who said, You are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. But you see, it must be a living word. Sometimes we think that if we just memorize enough Scripture, if we just try to obey enough commands, that then all these problems that we have fought with so long will be diminished from us. But you see, the cleansing is through the Word. And before the written Word can have a real impact in your life. I've noticed that many, many people that have fallen in grievous circumstances have been great and mighty students of the Word. But you see, there's a dimension in the cleansing where if you do not know and experience the living Word, the written Word loses its draw and its power. We are clean through the Word that Jesus has spoken unto us, but we are clean also through the very fact of Him being the Word. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, Paul said, For God did not call us to uncleanness, 
but to holiness. David said, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Samuel Rutherford said, When I look at my sinfulness, my salvation to me is my Savior's greatest miracle. Now, what are the keys to spiritual power? Church growth movement today says, The key to all this thing is to make it bigger, is to make it better, to create the kind of programs that are going to reach people and touch them and draw them and bring them. And the more we can get in, the better and better. And and we can be successful and the world can look at us and see that the church and Christianity and the Bible really is a success. And they're going to want to be a part of something that is a successful and a mighty thing. And I guess to a degree it may work. The only thing is you don't find a lot of that in the Scripture. You don't find that greatly enhanced in the Scripture. Instead, you find faithfulness. Paul told Timothy that. He said, God counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, putting me into service. So what are the keys to spiritual power? I would suggest three. First, willingness. Willingness. Be willing to allow God to work in your life in whatever way he will. Secondly, helplessness. Realizing that you cannot produce the ministry. He has to produce it. It is his ministry. And thirdly, yieldedness. Say, whatever, Lord. Not why, Lord, but whatever, Lord. But our problem, you see, is the same problem that all men have. It's the problem of pride. It was Spurgeon who said that we are all by nature as proud as Lucifer. We're proud of our church. We're proud of our understanding of the scriptures. We're proud of our theological position. We're proud of everything that we've been able to see and do. But you see, when we're truly cleansed, it is through the person and the presence of a living God. And then last, we see in Isaiah's experience, the last thing he came was the commitment. First the conviction, and then the confession, and then the cleansing, and then the commitment. Verse 8, he said, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Do you know I believe that if we were open more to the call of God, that he would call many, many more people to serve him in the ministry and in many other ways than he has before. The whole idea of the scripture is that every believer is to have a ministry. Every believer. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made when I was in Christian college was that I believed that I was not ready to be in the ministry. And so all the time, all the years I was in the in the college, in the Christian atmosphere, I had no ministry. I went to church, but I did not serve. I did not have the commitment. But we need eyes to see him and feet to follow and hearts to worship him and hands to serve him. That's what we need. We need to be committed to him. And you know, you can't screw this commitment up in your own heart and work it up and say, I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work at this. I'm going to work at that. And screw it all up in the energy of the flesh. No, our desire should be to come before the very holy presence of the living God and say, here I am, God. You do with me whatever you choose. And I want to see you. And I want to be with you. Read the history of men of God in the scriptures and since the scriptures were written and you will find that all of them had a time alone with the Lord. And that's when the commitment came. Philippians 4.8 Whatever things are pure, think on these things. Whatever is pure, think on these things. James 3.17 The wisdom that is from above is first pure. God's not going to use dirty people. 
1 Peter 1, 22, love one another with a pure heart. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, pursue peace with all and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. James 4, 8, purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, these are the things that bring us to commitment. 1 Peter 1, 22, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, not in knowing the truth, obeying the truth. 1 Timothy 5, 22. Paul told this young preacher boy, keep thyself pure. It should be the goal. It should be the goal. The goal should not be to be the pastor of a church. The goal should not be to be a missionary. The goal should not be to be a great businessman, to be a great leader in a local church as a layman. The goal, the goal should ever be keep thyself pure. And then God will work their results. God is interested in faithful people. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The only man who will pray that prayer is the man who sees his impurity and desires to be free from it. The most people that the person that we're most dishonest with is ourselves. The greatest need in the body of Christ today is a personal relationship with the living God, which is beyond your salvation, where you seek Him, where you hunger for Him, where you pant for Him. As the heart panteth out of the water books, so my soul pants after Thee, O Lord. That is the desire. Dwight Lyman Moody died the last days of the 19th century. His closest associate and friend was R.A. Torrey, who was the superintendent of Moody Bible Institute for many years in the beginning. Then he came out here to Los Angeles. He founded the Church of the Open Door. He also was a great leader in the beginning of Biola, what's now Biola College, the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. And it was greatly used of the Lord. Twenty-five years after Moody died, Torrey was asked to come back to Chicago, and they had a big memorial service to remember this great servant of the Lord, D.L. Moody, who'd now been in heaven for 25 years. And the committee that organized this service asked Torrey to speak on, on why God used Dwight Lyman Moody. Why God used Dwight Lyman Moody. And there were seven points in his message. Number one, he said that he was a fully surrendered man. Fully surrendered man. Number two, he was in the deepest and most meaningful sense a man of prayer. Are you? Am I? Number three, he is a deep and practical student of the Word of God. Are you? Number four, he was humble and never knew it. Are you? Number five, he was free from the love of money. In one year, Moody and Sankey made one million dollars before the turn of the century on songbooks that they sold at Crusades. One million bucks was a lot of money. It's even a lot of money now. It's much more then. You know what they did? They gave every dime away because they were free from the love of money. If the evangelical church today and the leaders in it could be free from the love of money, we would have a lot less of the problem we have. Number six, he had a consuming passion for the salvation of the lost to you. Since you've been at Master's College, 
Have you witnessed to anybody that is lost and outside of Christ? Or are you here to just learn to be super Christian? Why not go into the trenches now and seek the lost? Number seven, he had a very definite endowment with power from up on high. A very clear and definite fullness and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's why God used D.L. Moody. I've seen some of Moody's original sermon notes that he wrote, and he couldn't spell basic words. But he knew God, and so God used him. And if you know God, God will use you, whatever you do. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, said these four things. He said, those who know God have great energy for God. He said, those who know God have great thoughts of God. He said, those who know God have great boldness for God. And he said, those who know God have great contentment in God. You see, purity, like holiness, is never attained. It is always the goal. It is always before us. It is always to be pursued. All of us today are recovering addicts, addicted to our own depravity, our own sin nature. Dr. Clarence McCartney, who for years and years preached at the First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, said this about the man of God. He said, the better the man, the better the preacher. When he kneels by the bed of the dying or when he mounts the pulpit stairs, then every self-denial that he has ever made, every Christian forbearance he has shown, every resistance to sin and temptation will come back to him to strengthen his arm and give conviction to his voice. But he said, likewise, every evasion of duty, every indulgence of self, every compromise with evil, every unworthy thought, word, or deed will be there at the head of the pulpit stairs to meet the man of God on Sunday morning to take the light from his eye, the power from his blow, the ring from his voice, and the joy from his heart. We need men and women in this generation who know God and who are pure before him. It was Sidney Baxter who said, Whatever we give, he takes. Whatever we give, he takes. Whatever he takes, he cleanses. Whatever he cleanses, he fills. And whatever he fills, he uses. Is that you? Is that you? And you? Is that me? I ask you today... At one of the most critical times in the history of the church, I ask you today, without reservation, to give yourself to the ministry and to the service of Christ. If you are saved by Him, I ask you to serve Him. I ask you to pursue holiness. I ask you to pursue Him. And by God's grace, may we turn the tide that is making us the laughing stock of the world. Let us stand and pray. O oh God, our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
our holy God, our deep friend, our only source of salvation, our only source of strength, I pray that you would keep us from falling and that you would present us all, every one of us that is here today, faultless before the throne with exceeding joy. Father, we know that you are willing and we trust that we would all be willing to live before you, to stand in the traces, to work your work, to do your will. I pray that you would bless this school and the school is the students. Oh God, I believe with all my heart that it takes two things to have a school. It takes students and it takes a faculty. And I pray together that you would bless them and keep them and that your face would shine upon them and be gracious to them. Bless their going out and their coming in today and tomorrow and forever. And I pray that from this audience will come many mighty men and women of holiness and righteousness and purity that will serve you in the years that come. And I pray this in Jesus' name, for his sake and to his glory. Amen. You're dismissed.